Great. Well, it's good to be here. Who is enjoying being here this morning? Yes, I am, thoroughly. Uh, I think it's, we just had a great time of worship, haven't we? I'm sure God's got more to say, uh, but it was good. The prophetic words were good and clear and encouraging. And the great, the great thing about the Holy Spirit is he can minister to a couple of hundred people at the same time. That's what I really like uh, about the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, he just has a way of, of engaging with each one of us. Nice to see the Pierce family here. Only some of us with a long memory uh, really know you from sort of history. Um, but it's good to have them here this morning. Um, but it is great that the Holy Spirit can, you know, speak in so many different ways. Let's keep our hearts open and see what he wants to say. Now, if you have Bibles, tablets, phones, whatever you read from, please turn to Mark chapter 11. Uh, this is the story of Palm Sunday, which will be read all over the world uh, today. There is no question about it. It has been read in many places. will go on being read in many other places. And so we're one of a huge family that are thinking about this uh, glorious entrance of Jesus uh, into Jerusalem. And it's in all four Gospels, so uh, I could have chosen any one of them. But anyway, we're starting here, and we will end up in one of the other Gospels a little bit later. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. <laughs> One of the things you'd always like to know when you read Bible stories is the backstory, isn't it? Like, had Jesus arranged this beforehand? You know, or was he, he just happened to see it and thought, that would be useful later. I'll send a couple of guys to nick it, uh, you know, for, anyway, you'd lo just love to know the backstory, but you don't get it. Uh, so you have to use your imagination a bit. We don't quite know uh, what Jesus had arranged or what, he, you know, what, uh, what he'd, he'd planned previously. They went, these two disciples. You know, Jesus has a, a way of sending people two by two. Um, he doesn't believe in you know, monasticism where we're monks one by one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> why, why did I dive straight in there? But being two by two, being in fellowship with God's people is very, very important. And I have a feeling that there's too many lone Christians around who try and struggle on their own. We're not meant to. Uh, we're supposed to work together. And so he sends two, even to collect a donkey. Uh, you know, he sends two to do it. Well, if you've worked with donkeys, you might know why. Anyway, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem 
and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And we will come back to that story. Um, One of the places where this Palm Sunday procession has already happened today is in Jerusalem. And um, I've asked Lorraine just to share a little bit of the feel of what happens in Jerusalem, because many, many years ago, long before we were married, uh, she she was a volunteer nurse in Jerusalem for several months and was there over Easter and went on the Palm Sunday parade. So here we go. Over to you, Lorraine. Before I do this, though, can I just be a bit cheeky? you noticed the band this morning they were all teenagers well done guys i think apart from jeremy i thought you were brilliant (laughs) and you gave your time and you were really good and it was good worship so thank you and keep going love you you all well done good (laughs) um yes jeremy's always been a teenager jeremy's 21 (laughs) jeremy's just tipped over many years ago i was in israel and i was there for uh, about four months and I belonged to the church, or at least I went to the church that met in the, in the garden where the tomb is. So that was really special. Every Sunday we worshipped looking at the empty tomb. But on Palm Sunday, all the churches in their groups go up to the top of the Mount of Olives and then process down the road that Jesus would have taken, that Jesus did take. So I was part of that group. And we, all, we were all standing up there waiting and Some of the the churches had palm leaves and somebody in our church had fetched a load. Some actually had bits of cloth and they put them down as they were walking. But we went down in our groups, in our church groups, and started at the top and went down. And what was interesting was the differences in the groups. So you had the Greek Orthodox. I think they went first because they got a church at the top. And they had this dirt, what do you call it? (laughs) This dirty grey thing with diamonds on it, you know, that they hold in front of them. And they went down chanting like this and they went really slowly chanting something and then you had some others I don't know what group they were but they were they were very holy and they went down like this and then there was us the crazy charismatics and we went down like this and we were singing and we were singing Hosanna to the son of David which some of the old people know we sang all the way down waving our palm branches and every step we took you think Jesus did this. Jesus went down this way. The disciples did this. The interesting thing as well was the crowd, because all the church groups were doing that, but obviously lots of visitors to Jerusalem, lots of people in Jerusalem, came to watch. And there were people at the sides, and some of them were, you know, really singing as well. And some were looking terribly confused about what are these mad Christians doing. And some were looking quite scornful, actually, and didn't like what we were doing at all and I thought it was probably just like this then you know there, there were those that were thinking this guy's coming to save us and there were the the Jews that were thinking and, and the Pharisees that were thinking we don't want anything to do with him but as I walked down I thought this is just how they must have felt as they were going down and suddenly I just got this revelation it's like oh no 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 <laughs> this is much better because when they were all processing down after Jesus waving their palm branches they thought he was going to save Israel And I'm walking down, knowing he's going to save the world. It was brilliant. It was even better, I think, than it was at that time. There we go. You can take the microphone with you. Give it back to Al. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Well, now, as Mark tells the Jesus story, um, 
Jesus has been showing himself bit by bit to his disciples, to who he is, up in the sort of northern part of Israel called Galilee. Um, And most of the time, he's been trying to say to his disciples, look, this is who I am, but don't tell anybody. Don't tell people. Let's keep it quiet for the time being. And that's been the theme all the way through Mark's gospel as he writes the story. Don't shout about, he is trying to let people know who he is, but it's bit by bit so they understand um, he's the teacher, he's the discipler, he's the miracle worker. And there's a growing awareness that he is the, 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 the Messiah too. He's the one who was going to be anointed to save Israel. Well, now, chapter 11 of Mark's gospel starts a new section, and it is Jesus coming to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem part of his ministry. And now, all that sort of quiet preparation is coming right out into the open as Jesus comes as king to Jerusalem. There is now No question who he is. There's no secret who he is. What he's revealed to his disciples in Galilee, he's now going to make clear to all the Jews in Jerusalem. And it does, of course, cause trouble. Uh, Because not everybody wants this Messiah or this sort of Messiah And, of course, we know that people shift from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify him pretty quickly. (laughs) And uh, and people can be swayed like that in their emotions. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. They're all emotions. (laughs) So emotions are not wrong. And it's not wrong to use our emotions as we worship the Lord and all the rest of it. But everything needs to be founded a little bit more strongly than that on the rock also of biblical convictions and promises and all the rest of it. And because we're complete beings, we need all of those things. And so it is fascinating how the Hosanna is changed to crucify him pretty quickly by a lot of people. So... So here Jesus comes, we've just read the story, Um, and what I want to say this morning is really ever so simple, (laughs) Um, but he is coming, of course, as king. This is the open display of who he is, but he's coming as a different sort of king. And Jesus seems deliberately to sort of act out a prophecy that is recorded in Zechariah. And I'm going to ask you to look at it with me, because if you want to understand this story, you need to look back to the prophecy of Zechariah. So it's Zechariah chapter 9, and it's just a sort of few books before the end of the Old Testament, if you're not too sure where that fits. Okay, but this is a prophecy about the coming of Zion's king, or Jerusalem's king. A king for God's people. And Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, goes like this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of the chapter talks about what's going to happen when the king returns to restore his people. It's very, very powerful indeed. Uh, This prophecy here envisages a humble king coming. Now, kings and humility don't necessarily always go together. I mean, we understand that. And of course, you know, a victorious king or a king of significance would probably ride the biggest charger horse possible, (laughs) right? Not a donkey. Not a donkey. Um, Unused animals, by the way, were kept for special purposes in the story of the Old Testament. And so... If ever God wanted to do something special, it would often be a religious sacrifice or something like that. It would be an unused animal, one that had never been used for anything else. But it's like it was saved for this purpose was about to be used. And this is part of the reason why Jesus said, I'm going on a donkey, but it's an unused donkey. It's been saved for special purposes that I'm going to use this donkey for. Um... You know, even in the church, there are all sorts of things that we'd really rather not see, I think. Um, So there's a sort of, there are positions of influence and power and important leaders that we look up to and so on. That's not Jesus' kingdom. Um, I, I was interested to go visit the nation of Chad and our friends Jack and Claire Boko, who many of you will know. Uh, I went, well, I don't know, 15 months or so ago. Um, great to go there. But of course, Chad is a nomadic country. What's interesting there is you have herds of donkeys and herds of horses. They're obviously slightly a wealthier nomads than the donkey owners. <laughs> and then you have herds of camels. Now, the camel herds, they're the ones who've really made it. You sort of look at this status thing (laughs) that takes place. You know, and Jesus is basically driving a Ford Focus here. Um, Or perhaps he's on a bicycle. And perhaps a bicycle would be a better sort of uh, vehicle for what Jesus is trying to do here. And what he's trying to display. And he's trying to say, no airs and graces. No positional sort of theology. It's not about big people and little people and important people. And He is a king. He is a king, but he can ride a donkey. And this is all part of the nature of God, obviously. That you know, God has great power, but he comes to us humbly. And he comes to us as a servant. And one of the things I love about what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 
14 and 15, he says, Sid, don't, you know, don't be surprised that I'm going away. I've got to go away because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit can't come. And his name is the paraclete. Now, that's a, a name for somebody you can call alongside to help. Somebody who'll speak for you. Somebody who'll help you. Some, somebody who'll strengthen you. And so you have this image of the Holy Spirit coming to strengthen disciples anytime they call him. Now, I think that's rather wonderful as well. <laughs> This is the the nature of God himself who, you know, you're feeling rotten today. (laughs) You're feeling weak. You're feeling hopeless. You're feeling depressed, disappointed. Whatever it may be you're feeling, you say, Holy Spirit, please come. Uh, This is lousy. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit is the one we call alongside to help. Holy Spirit, I haven't a clue what to do here. I've got to make this decision. Please help. And the Holy Spirit comes. And one of the things we need to learn is that our God is not full of self-importance, so he hasn't got time for us. Our God is full of a servant spirit, so he'll come whenever we call him. Isn't that remarkable? So why don't we call him more? I mean, that's that's the weird thing, isn't it? Sometimes we think, well, I've just got a soldier on. Now, soldiering on is a stoic British spirit that also doesn't fit in the kingdom of God. Okay, that's not, (laughs) right, that's not who we are either. And we're actually, if we confess it, quite weak people. Some of us have stronger walls than others. I was thought of that when we sang that song, I Will Let the Walls Come Down. So often we keep our walls up and we pretend to be strong. We pretend to know what we're doing. And, and then we don't call the Holy Spirit. When he's available, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm just here. I'm just here. I'm just here. And we can call him. and He comes alongside. And the humility of God. The Father who puts all of his love at our disposal. He's our shepherd king. And Jesus who pours out his life to redeem us completely, and the Holy Spirit, who will come to us day after day after day. This is the servant nature of God. The king is coming, but he comes as a servant. He comes humbly. And one of the things that perhaps God wants to eradicate in us as well is the feeling that we can help other people. Uh, It's what's called a messianic spirit in some of us. Really want to help them, really want to help them. Actually, God wants servants who get alongside and just put themselves at the disposal of others, often to listen. And listening is a very much stronger tool than talking, quite often. So people feel understood and cared for and helped, and that somebody loves them personally and has enough time just to sit and listen. The Holy Spirit is there for us. I would love to go around and say, the Holy Spirit's there for you. He's there for you. He's there for you. He's there for you. And reel off a whole load of names. But he is here for every single one. Why do we struggle on our own then? Why do we do that? He doesn't want us to do that. He wants to come and serve us. So there we are. Cloaks in the road and leafy branches spontaneous acts of receiving someone special. You understand all that. Interesting enough, by the way, I discovered this this week as I was doing my homework and my preparation. Only the Gospel of John talks about palms. 
and the others just talk about leafy branches. So take your pick. Um, but palms didn't grow in Jerusalem, they grew in Jericho, so perhaps they were imported. But anyway, uh, there's a, another little backstory thing for you to fill in somewhere. This humble teacher and healer from Nazareth who talks about servant leadership and the necessity of his own death is seen as coming into Jerusalem with all the power and the strength of an anointed king to save God's people. This is a powerful mixture of images that it behoves us to try and model in our own lives. And this is, the, this is the difficult thing for us, isn't it? As Christians, we do have the answer. I mean, we have, in Christ, hope for the world. Hope for the nations. We know what the answer is. If we're not careful, we can sail in in a very unservant-like way. And start trying to give people our answer without listening to their questions. What God wants us to do is have this same spirit of Jesus. So we come humbly. We don't come on our big chargers or even our camels, but on our donkeys. Because we understand the anointing of God rests upon a donkey. Okay. So he comes as a king, but he's a different sort of king. Now, he does come as a king with authority to change. Here's the second step to this story. So, so they come down from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. I mean, if you were walking this on your own, it would probably take you about half an hour, 40 minutes. But with a crowd, it probably takes a lot longer. How long did it take you? About an hour. There we are, over an hour. So it, took a, it takes a good hour for this procession to come down. They're all having a great time. Palm Sunday was a great day of celebration, excitement, recognition, honor. And this great cry, Hosanna, which means save, Lord, we pray. It's not sort of so much a, a cry of praise as a cry saying, save us, Lord, because you're the savior. And for those who can, you know, might be a bit linguistic here, Hosanna has the same roots as Jesus and Joshua, who are saviors. They have the same roots, they're the same word, and it's about God being the savior of his people. Hosanna, Hosanna, he's the savior. He's the one who's going to save us, and we cry out for him to save us. So Jesus is in this great procession, coming in as this humble king, cries of, of praise all around and of shouts for God to save and heal his people and so on. And he ends up in the temple courts. Where else would he go? Because being close to God his Father is his one desire. He walks into the temple courts, which are quite big, and he obviously ends up in the outer court. Now, the inner court was where the Jewish people went to pray, and the outer court was where the nations from all over the world were allowed to go and pray. 
But if you're coming from foreign, foreign countries, you need to be able to buy an offering. You need to be able to change your money so that you can buy stuff from the people who are selling animals for the sacrifices and so on and so forth. Um, and so in this outer court where all of these people from nations are welcome to pray, there's a hubbub of noise, of merchants selling stuff, of money changers changing their money, of people hawking their goods. And you've got some bargains in one corner which are better than, you know, what they're selling in other corners and all that sort of stuff going on. It's like a market. And so as Jesus went and had a look, wasn't very impressed. But he decides to keep his powder dry. So he thinks, I haven't got time to sort this out now. Isn't that interesting? Worthwhile that we choose our time for things. Anyway, he goes back with his disciples. They obviously have a meal together, probably at the home of... Martha and Mary and Lazarus, because they also live in Bethany. I mean, so, so I guess that they were all staying there somehow. And he comes back the following morning. Humbly, but with authority. Because when the king comes, the king wants to sort some things out. So we get two stories that come together, which you can read if you read on in Mark chapter 11. And the first story is how Jesus is going along the road and he comes to a fig tree which has got leaves all over it. If you find a fig tree that has leaves all over it, in theory, you should find some fruit in the midst of all of those leaves. You have to feel through the leaves, but if you can file, find figs underneath the leaves, because leaves and fruit go together, only not on this fig tree. And Jesus curses the fig tree because there's no fruit on it. <laughs> That's an interesting story. I wonder what the backstory of that one is. Some people have thought that he is trying to make some point about the nation of Israel not having the sort of fruit it should have, but Jesus doesn't make that point. Because the following, a little bit later on, they all come back to that fig tree, walking past that fig tree, because it was a sort of well-used road. They come back there, and the fig tree's withered up. And the disciples say to Jesus, look at the fig tree. He doesn't say, yes, this is about Israel, and then not... No, 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 he doesn't. He says, listen, if you pray with faith, you can see the same sort of thing happen. For Jesus, this is all about prayer. <laughs> and he wants his disciples to understand the authority that he has as a prayer, but that we have as prayers. He says... <laughs> Okay, well, you've seen this happen, but if you do the same thing, it'll work for you. Um, I happened to be in a church leaders meeting on Friday. Uh, spent all day Friday praying with a bunch of church leaders from Oxfordshire and Worcestershire and Gloucestershire and, and so on. And I'll tell you, it was, it was an absolutely fascinating day. We just had a great day in prayer and fellowship together. But everybody sort of tells you know, their stories, what God's doing, 
people being born again, people getting healed. Um, and, uh, but so many stories of these leaders were about, you know, people being healed in very ordinary circumstances and everybody being amazed. And, you know, and people say, and prayer works, doesn't it? Or sort of with a note of surprise. Jesus says, you don't need to be surprised by this. If you understand the authority that you have in prayer. Okay, so, anybody know Roger Cole? Roger Cole is a tall, gangly person who prays for people to get healed regularly, back problems. And so, uh, he prays for this sort of total non-Christian uh, in a particular situation. And uh, she's got back trouble, and he, he just prays for her. And, and she said, ah, she said that. As soon as you started praying, it was like a little gnome working up and down my back. <laughs> well, it's not a very sophisticated explanation, is it? But you think to yourself, yeah, prayer works. However people describe it, prayer works. And we understand the authority that we have in prayer. And we had story after story like that. And then we had some interesting, other interesting things happen. So one leader came and said... I've been feeling that God's been speaking to me as I've been praying recently. And I've stepped out of the job that I was doing. And I feel God's calling me to something else, but I don't know what it is. Now, for many of us, that would breed a little insecurity. Who likes to have a plan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put your hand up. Yeah. Who can live with a degree of uncertainty? Yeah, yeah. We're about half half, 50 50. 50. Okay, that's, that's, that's how it is. But, but, that, but, you know, this guy said, I feel God's called me out of that, but he hasn't called me into anything else yet, but I've got to be available for it, so I've given up my job. And then a second person said exactly the same thing. I felt a few weeks ago God was speaking to me about moving out of what I was in to move into something else. I haven't got a clue what he's moving me into. And I thought, they've met the king. In prayer, they've met the king. Now, if I want to talk to you today, it's about welcoming King Jesus. Well, it's great to welcome him with a big fanfare of hosannas and praise and palm leaves and flags and I was just glad that you were taller than most people around you because his, his ribbon was going like this. And I thought, I thought you were about to get hit, hit on the head by his ribbon. Anyway, never mind. Um, so, you know, all of this fanfare stuff is very good. But what about when God whispers to you, actually, I want you to step out of what you're in because I've got a call to something else, but I'm not going to tell you till you've stepped out. Hello? Now you're meeting King Jesus. Because the most important thing about welcoming King Jesus is that you understand he's the king. And he knows what he's doing in your life. Some of us will never move into what we need to move into until we've stepped out of something that we're holding on to or that is holding on to us. And God wants his people to live a life of faith. He doesn't want his church full of clever dicks 
but people with childlike hearts and spirits who can put their tiny hands into God's great big hand and walk with him. That's called faith and obedience. So the first thing Jesus does is to show them what comes when, when you know how to pray. Curse this fig tree. It's gone. It's day's finished. You're walking into something else. And then, of course, he goes to the temple. Now, you know this story. This is the really troublesome one. He was so offended the night before when he saw what was going on in the temple. And this is what was going on. There was noise, racket, businesses being conducted, merchants selling their stuff, money changers, etc. Anything but prayer. Anything but prayer. Because all this stuff was in the way. And so Jesus, quite abnormally for him, becomes just a little violent and turns over the tables of the money chain. Says, get that stuff out of here. My father ordained this place to be a place of prayer for people of all nations. And you've just got all your clutter in here in the way. When Jesus comes to us as king, he wants to clear the clutter away. Because the most important thing for us as his people is to live a life of prayer. And it is such an incredible privilege, isn't it? I told you I was going to be simple today, didn't I? Because sometimes we rush around with the busyness in such a way that we can't hear God any longer. Actually, we're probably doing too much talking ourselves. <laughs> now, we're not listening to what he's saying, and we're not living and walking by faith. And he wants to clear the clutter. And I have a feeling he wants to clear the clutter in some of our lives at the moment. And I want to make a suggestion to you. Yesterday morning I was speaking at a men's breakfast. I mean, it's a proper breakfast, you know, a proper full cooked breakfast in a pub in Henley this was. Anyway, a men's breakfast. I mean, Christians and non-Christians there. um, I love these opportunities. I think they're just great. Um... And so I told them the story of Zacchaeus, you know, climbing up that tree in Jericho to take a peek at Jesus because he was a little man. And, and Jesus comes along and says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down from your tree. That's where men tends to, tend to sit in an uncommitted way. This is safe up here. I don't have to get too engaged with anyone else. Have we got any men like that here? private men who are just very quiet you know it's all right for them but yeah so I said that's the way men sort of respond we're uncommitted we're sort of you know sit up a tree out of the way but Jesus says I want to come to your house he didn't say I want you to come to church with me he said I want to come to your house now this is very very important because we've got to understand that what the king wants is not us you know, to be going to meetings all the time, not saying don't go to them, right? But he wants us to have Jesus in our house. 
And he wants our house to be a house of prayer and our families to be families of prayer. And, you know, in, you know, you guys who are married, you're supposed to be praying together. It's the most important thing that you can do. And who wants to be honest and tell me that's the hardest thing you can do. And you'll go to church and pray, but praying at home can be one of the biggest challenges. But that's where Jesus wants to come as king. So that this thing is not about religious performance, but about truth on the inner parts. I am actually praying. When Jesus comes as king, he will make a difference to your prayer life. And until he has, he's probably not king, as he wants to be king. Because this is about deep calling unto deep and intimacy with God. And generate uh, out that lovely passage from Song of Songs. I've been reading Song of Songs recently. Charlie Cleverly, who leads the church in St. Aldate's Church, has just written a book on the Song of Songs, and he gave me a copy. And uh, I've, been caught, I've been reading that book. It's been so, so refreshing. Because one or two of you know that Lorraine and I have had a couple of sort of tough years for one reason or another, and it really doesn't matter. But in the busyness of life and having to deal with situations and resolve things, something had hardened in my own heart. And it's in prayer that it gets softened again. And I've been reading with delight this Song of Songs. Where is Jenna? You were over here earlier. You've gone somewhere. Ah, Hello. <laughs> you, read that, you read that beautiful passage from uh, the Song of Songs, and, and it talked about God doing something fresh, and new blooms coming, and God causing... And, and I think he wants that in all of us, you see. I mean, I know he wants that in me, but I know he wants it in every one of you too. So that everyone is enjoying this intimacy with God, because the King has come to us. And he is the most important thing in our world. He's humble, riding on an ass. <laughs> but he's coming to us. And he's going to, like Zacchaeus, he's going to live in your house. Zacchaeus then decided there were some things he needed to sort out. Thus says the Lord, so will you. If he comes as king, you'll start to hear him clearly. And you'll know there's some things you can't live with. Because he wants to change us. Amen? I have not a clue where I'm in my notes at the moment, but, um, but I'm enjoying myself. That's why I've gone off PowerPoints. They put you in a straitjacket, don't they? Anyway, here we go. He comes as king with authority to change. That's what he wants to do. Um, okay. Well, f the final thing I just want to say, it's ever so simple again, too, is when he comes as king... We need to welcome him wholeheartedly. This is back to Palm Sunday and sort of, you know, this great celebration procession. There is joy and celebration here. The king is amongst us to do us good, to give us victory, to bring us peace and to save people. This humble figure who loves ordinary people whose lives are broken wants to bless us and change us. Amen? Amen. You are allowed to say amen, especially when I'm preaching. Thank you. Yeah. 
In Matthew chapter 21, we get the story told in a slightly different shape. All that means is the gospel writers see something different in the same events as we all do. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 to 17, says this. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you're making it a den of robbers. That's strong stuff, isn't it? The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, <laughs> when they saw the wonderful things he did, they got cross. <laughs> what is that? And he saw, when they saw the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what those children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children, infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Children shouting Hosanna, waving flags, running around with ribbons, etc., etc. I, I love it. I love it. That's what should happen. I mean, I, I really, really think that, you know, we want kids to enjoy themselves in the house of God, don't we? We want there to be joy in the house of the Lord. That's, you know, that's what the king wants. He comes to bring joy and celebration. And do you know what? I think we had a good time in worship this morning. It was good, but I think it could go further. I still think we're very British. And some things about British people are okay. <laughs> and other things are not very okay. And, and I was thinking to myself, even as I was praising the Lord this morning, and I stretched out my hands, and I thought, why do we do that? And, well, the first reason we do that is I surrender. The king's here. I want to hear something from the king. I want to understand what he wants for me. I surrender. But it's also, you want to reach out further, don't you? you know, can we get hold of more? God's bigger than anything we've ever seen, touched, or imagined. Is he not? Even those who have walked for, with him for years and years, he's bigger than what we've touched yet. And we're on this exciting of journey of trying to know him better. So we go, oh, yeah. Sort of standing calmly with our hands down and unexpressibly British. Doesn't seem quite right somehow. You know, and the children know how to dance and praise, and maybe their parents could learn it as well, and especially students. <laughs> Shall be amongst those who are leaping around, because <laughs> you're fit and young. And some of us have got creaking knees and things like that. The king comes to his city and his house, and, and what we want to do more and more is to welcome him every time we gather. I did appreciate the hunger in people's hearts this morning to know him better. And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to worship the Lord again. Can I encourage you if you get... I watch polite people sort of putting a hand here. Uh, 
try going a bit further. Can you try going a bit further, you know, ah, reach out to him, king's here, he wants to put blessing in our hands. And so, and so we're just going to worship the Lord. And this is what I want to suggest. Um, if you know God's spoken to you this morning, then come out to the front and just say, I know you're speaking to me. This is what I need to do. This is what I need you to do. I'm coming here. I'm standing here in a, a posture of prayer to seek you and to seek your face. And um, I want to suggest to you that it's about you and him and not about you and some other leader praying for you or something like that. My favorite stories was a friend of mine who he, he wanted to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, I need to get this. He said, but you lot keep your hands off. Because I'm going to get this from God. And what God responds to is sort of a hunger that reaches out to him. And that lays hold of him. And we see God's here. And Ruth was the one who said at a certain point, and seize it. I thought, we see it and we seize it. How about that, Ruth? Will that do? Yeah. And uh, we see that God's here, and he wants to touch us, and he wants to bless us, and he wants to be close to us, and we seize him. And uh, if you know God's talking to you, please do not stay in your seat. Now, that sounds like a bit of a sort of, you know, a bullying sort of approach, but what I'm trying to say is sometimes it just take a step. Do it into the aisle, that's all right. If that's far, you don't want to come to the front, the aisle's good. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? It's saying, I am actually up for something, God. I do need to change. I do need your kingship in my life because, you know, because there's stuff still to sort out or, or whatever. I'm stopping talking. Jeremy's going to take over. The teenage band yes. now take over. And let's worship the Lord and let's just do business with him. And then Al will close us down when he wants to.